I'm Jack Semlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2019 Precision Farming Dealer Podcast Series. In today's program, we share some perspective on how, even in a challenging economy, dealerships are looking for opportunities which can strengthen their businesses for the future. If you're tuning in for the first time, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. Or if there's another app you prefer for listening to podcasts, let us know, and we'll make every effort to get it listed. And a reminder that by subscribing, you'll be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Well, what will the precision dealer of the future look like? How different will their role be within a dealership? As new technologies mold the business model of many ag equipment dealerships, the responsibilities of precision staff are evolving as well, with more emphasis placed on service-centric revenue and data-driven decisions for customers. Dealerships will likely need to redefine the why and how of their precision teams, influenced by rapid advancements in ag tech and taking cues from industries outside agriculture to adapt and grow their businesses. Jim Henderson, executive partner with the Exemplary Group, a business consulting firm working with ag dealerships, is no stranger to the startup experience, having developed software and hardware companies based on the philosophy that employees are systems integrators, trained on multiple skill sets and abilities to serve customers. In today's Precision Farming Dealer podcast, we share excerpts from my conversation with Jim at a recent Precision Dealer Peer Group meeting where he shared some insight into how dealers can embrace a shifting precision business model. Well, Jim, I, I really appreciate you taking some time here. It's good to have a chance to sit down with you here. Really uh, looking forward to the opportunity to chat with you and, and get uh, you know a little bit of a different perspective, I think, than uh, perhaps what our audience is, is accustomed to on the precision egg industry and business. but. Uh, maybe starting out, just just you know, give a little bit of background on yourself and and kind of how you've uh, kind of gotten intertwined here with with the ag industry and, and precision. Right, right. Well, and and that's really kind of a a path when you look at it. I had started my own company, the systems integration company, reseller. We did hardware and software. So instead of a a, a tractor, right, it might be a, a scanner that would be you know the size of your bed or it might the other technology that was big in metal, mail opening equipment. After we sold that company, I, uh, I had another startup that was in the SaaS software world. And, but along the way, friends of mine that ran companies started asking me questions. So I started working with people who ran companies. And that led to working with peer groups and over time got involved with industrial equipment dealers and their peer groups. And people say, well, why are you doing this? And well, Really, right now, it's a really interesting point in virtually every industrial equipment space because of the technology that's coming into play and that it's not just a metal box anymore or something that's big and metal with wheels. I think that's one of the areas that, that has made it, I think, really interesting is to look at that. And um, so that's, that's how it's evolved. And that's where it's really fun to come in and talk with it. The other, the other interesting analogy is that if you look at the career that I've had, almost all of it has either been you know, around equipment or it's been channel. And I think that one of the unique things right now, particularly with you guys with Precision Farm Dealer, is it's a channel play. So when you look at the software world, 
as SaaS software has become more prevalent, the question is where do we sell direct versus where do we have a channel and do they provide value? And, and I think to, in today's world for the dealers, it's really, in any industry, the big question is, am I going to be disintermediated? You know, is it all of a sudden Amazon's doing it or it's going direct and what am I here for? So uh, the concept I like to think of is the value-added dealer or the value-added rep and, and what does that look like today? And I think when we, when we look at what's happening in, in, in farming, one of the things that I'd start with is there's recently a fascinating article on Sports Illustrated about a guy, the, the title was How a Harvard Cartographer Changed the NBA Forever. And, and what did he do? He took five years of shot data and mapped it. And it became very apparent that mid-range jumpers were a waste of time and that three-pointers were, you got the same field goal percentage. So it changed the NBA and you had Steph Curry and now jump shooters earn a fortune. Well, what was the key there? The data was available, right? And I think that when I look at it, that's really what a lot of the movement, the precision farming is about, is the fact that, hey, wait, we're getting all this data now. We have all this data. We have the ability to transmit it, collect it, and use it. Well, how are we going to use that? And I think that becomes the, the first model that, that I see that applies here is, well, let's understand the Houston Astros and what they've done with their with their team. Let's understand what sports teams are doing because they want to win every year, just like a farmer wants to win every year. And the win may be a little bit different, but still the idea is how do I use this data to change the way I play the game? And that I think is the first level. But when I look at equipment dealers, what I also see is that most of them are used to equipment. So all of a sudden, this idea of using data and services off of that, or what do I do with it, is a little foreign. And just in talking to people, it's become apparent that, that they're going to, I think dealers may go one of two ways. Either I'm going to jump into services and provide them and figure out how to do that, or I'm going to be more like an infrastructure provider. Because now the question is, well, what infrastructure do I need to collect and aggregate the data and use that data? And both are potentially viable. I think providing the services will probably be more profitable. But either way, I think the core is goes back to, and it's biased by my view, is I think the dealer of the future will be a systems integrator. And the issue is that you're going to walk in and people are going to have certain types of equipment. They're going to have certain systems they're using to run their farm. They're going to have certain data systems. They're going to have certain tools they use. And you're going to have to figure out how to come into that environment. And there are certain ones that will be easier than others, but the ones who can figure out how to be think like an integrator and bring solutions together, I think will have a big advantage. And, and that was our advantage with our company. We, we were able to come into virtually an environment and figure out what was happening and bring those solutions. Now, as a system integrator now, you've got to have a different type of person. Now, all of a sudden, you're thinking, I need industrial engineers. I need system engineers. I need people that maybe aren't like code developers that work for Google, but I need people who are comfortable with SQL and scripts and you know how to get into data and use data. And maybe I don't need a you know a high-level PhD data analyst, but I need somebody who's comfortable with it. So it becomes much more technical. And I've heard a lot about well, people don't want to go into agriculture, but 
I would say that there's also a movement toward agriculture when you look at it, and that a lot of people are sort of very interested in it that may not have been there in the past. And um, so I would challenge that a little bit because I still think there's a lot of excitement here. Why does Microsoft promote so many stories about precision farming and what they're doing? Because it's exciting, it's cool, people love the stories. So that I think will be a big part. And for somebody running a dealer organization, how they train those people, how they make profit in that, really ties to the next question, which is, or point, which is you have to think through the financial engineering. This is gonna apply on multiple levels. As, a, as somebody who runs a dealership, you're going to have to understand the profit these provide, the gross profit, so that you understand, well, here's what my expenses will be and here's my net. So now I know that these solutions can work. The other part that you're going to have to think through is, well, from a customer standpoint, what's my pricing and packaging? Because a lot of this, a guy, Bob Curry, who's done a lot of work in this arena, We'll talk about the four phases of where things go and, and that it's going to a service model. So now all of a sudden, if it moves to more of a service model, well, how's that gonna look? How do I align my, the financial engineering with the, the farmer? And what's, how's, how's my pricing and packaging work? And the example I like to use is Amazon. One day I, I was at a conference and somebody from, uh, I think it was Morningstar walked up anyway, large, large, you know, company that does retirement and so they just switched to Amazon web services and I'm like really did you do that to save money and he laughed and said nobody ever goes with Amazon to save money <laughs> and um, we did it because we want to they're up on the latest technology and they you know they're reliable and they know what they're doing and and when you look at that and you say Amazon web services is the profit driver for Amazon but it's not nobody ever asks what's the cost of that server how much are you paying your tech to go out and fix that server Nobody thinks about that. They think about the computing power that's available. They think about different metrics. And so, but that took somebody to think through that both from a customer value standpoint and internally, what's the profit engine to make sure it works. So Amazon took a three or 4% industry white box servers and turned it into a 24% industry, which is just amazing when you think about that. Can, can that happen with farm dealers? Well, if the farmer makes enough money, then sure. But that's the question, right? Everybody's struggling to make a profit. How do you help them make a profit? You know, how do you help them cut expenses, increase revenue like that? And the second part of the financial engineering is your salespeople have to, are gonna have to be able to figure out how to sell financially as well as speeds and feeds and what the capabilities of a piece of equipment are. And I think that's going to require a different type and generation of salesperson. So what we'll see is, hey, we have this, these people that have built these relationships and know how to sell the equipment, know how to do that. I think you're going to have a new type of salesperson that will be more systems and financially oriented in there as well, particularly with your large farms that are really corporations anyway. So any questions? Yeah, how, how, how big of a what? shift is that going to be for your average dealer now because i mean obviously uh you know with your conversations and and the ones i'm having when, when we're talking about that kind of a shift in philosophy and, and just business model for dealerships i mean that's that's something that you know for the average dealer you know might might pose challenges because i mean the models that we're seeing now in terms of you know how particularly on the precision side dealers are structured 
where they're finding success, where they're seeing challenges, um, you know, certainly isn't universal. So wh where do you see, you know, kind of maybe the biggest challenges with making that shift in the industry, whether it's on the equipment or the precision side? Well, that's a good question. I would, at all levels of the organization, it's shifting to be more of a technology-oriented company. And I think first and foremost, people that are comfortable with technology. The second is building a culture that is comfortable and understands how to change. And that it's not like you're buying something and that's it and that's the way it works. It's gonna be evolution, continual evolution. So, and really more continual improvement. So if you go back to an industrial engineering background, it's continual improvement. So how do I continually improve and change and deal with the technology that's coming? I think the second part is the speed of that becomes important now. I think in the, in the, in the ag industry specifically, the speed is different than say, you know, whatever, the, the, the parallels to Amazon go away because your speed is dictated by a couple things. You have your, your, the growing cycle, which is gonna dictate a lot around what can or can't happen. And I think that unlike the auto industry where the time is shrinking for cars and you know, car manufacturers are opening up, you know, develop R&D shops in Silicon Valley because they realize the future of the car is all software. Here, I don't know that I see that same level of speed happening with the equipment. Instead, I think that, well, we'll get into that in a minute, how, I, how that's happening, but, but with, with ag tech and investment and the, the, the potential disruption there. But I think with the people, I think that it's gonna come down to getting people that are more technically oriented when you hire. And I think the challenge for dealerships will be, how do I have, make sure again, go back to my financial modeling, that I have the, the packaging and pricing to the customer that I can afford these people because I can't go just double somebody's salary without subsequently doubling my you know, gross profit. And, um, and I think that's gonna be one of the key challenges. The other part is that um, if you think back to when, a long time ago, right, when Netscape was out there and internet browsers were just coming there, I can't remember who it was at Microsoft went to Bill Gates and is like, we've got to do this. And I think that in a lot of dealerships, it's not gonna be the dealer principal that drives it. I think there's gonna be somebody in the dealership that's like, we've got to do this. And I think how the dealer principals empower and both validate that that person's on the right track is gonna be very important. So that, that would be my, my gut feel just talking about it. One of the other aspects, and I don't want to uh, kind of jump anything you might might want to touch on here, but you know maybe this segues in a little bit to the uh, the influence now and the prevalence of, of different startups we're seeing, certainly on the precision side, and uh, you know we're we're obviously getting to a point where uh, there's a lot of options, there's choices that dealers can make uh, on the manufacturing side, but particularly on on the data and software side. And, Know, companies are coming out of the market, providing options, solutions. From a dealer standpoint, you know, and from an industry standpoint, how do you dissect those? How do you decide who's worth taking a chance on, and, and you know what's going to fit my business plan going forward? Well, there's a great question. I think that so let's look at that for a minute. Ag tech. I just read in Forbes today, last year, $1.3 billion went towards equipment and connectivity investments. 
And that doesn't include what you have major equipment manufacturers doing. Um, Ag Funder says if they what they call downstream, which is not only that, but other areas that deal with basically the production of the, f of the food was $6.7 billion worldwide, or I think that was US. Anyway, it's, it's a lot of money coming in. And I think that the, the, the challenge for a dealer is there's both opportunity and risk. The risk is that a lot of these products have not figured out product market fit, and that's the biggest risk with a startup. So if you're out there and the product market fit is not proven, then you risk wasting a lot of time and money. Now, if, it, if, you, if there's enough of a track record that it's proven and then you can hop in, um, it's kind of like you want to be early but not too early, is, is that assuming you're just selling it. And the second part is a lot of these ag companies, um, you got to figure out how have they thought through their channel program. Do they really want to work with dealers or are they just trying to take your customers and then use them themselves? And so I think uh, an eye towards that would be important. And I think in many ways, that's something I would look at precision farming as being able to, in effect, you could help grade people's channel programs. How strong are they? And are they really viable or not? The, the second part though, I think that, that groups of dealers have an opportunity around investment because if you look at the investment cycle, it goes from angel, which would be, I'm trying to figure out product market fit, A round, which might be, now I've begun to figure it out. Now I'm gonna get my scaling money, you know, B, C, D rounds. Well, not that you wanna get into being venture capital, but if you have a group that were to come together and say, hey, we're all gonna resell your product. One of the hardest parts for a new product is building the relationships and the selling and going to market. Now all of a sudden they don't have to hire those people. Well, if you can invest, potentially invest money along with a round and agree to invest in the salespeople to sell it, a, a dealer principal would now have the opportunity to get the upside of, of that. Now, I'm not saying there's not risk there, but you're gonna start seeing unicorns, which if your readers aren't familiar with that. That's a company that's going to be valued at a billion dollars or more in this space. A good example is um, Instacart, which isn't really farm production, but it's you know, buying groceries. Um, I've wondered if they would actually connect me directly to farmers. My, but that has a $6 billion valuation now, which is pretty crazy. And I just think there's things out there like that where... Um, where we don't know quite where that'll go and what'll happen, but I think the dealers shouldn't underestimate the power of the relationships they have here and their ability to make a new technology be successful. Either way, I, I would be careful of one that doesn't have product market fit yet because that is, that's a risky spot and that's super hard to figure out, um, so. What, and certainly for the precision side and, and yeah. what we're seeing, with a lot of dealerships is quite often that specialist or that precision manager maybe that first and primary point of contact for customers you know they might be the first person mm -hmm. that customers call and right. uh, you know they're the first person that maybe is going to make that visit out to the farm to troubleshoot a problem so you mentioned the relationship side being right. critically important you know when you're talking about trying to move forward take those next steps building off of those and obviously that's going to make it easier than when you're going to get into something new or change your model to be able to rely on those relationships that you have established with customers but by the same token 
there's new relationships that could yeah. certainly be uncovered uh, with, with the opportunity of something new. Right. And, and well, and if you look at something new, I'm going to stay with the ag tech for a minute. Some of the trends are solar. One of the trends I read about was modular um, facilities. So, so if your readers aren't familiar in the construction world, modular construction is exploding. And it used to be modular was a construction trailer on a construction site. Well, now Marriott's going all in on it because they can build a hotel twice as fast. The stories out there are incredible. Well, if you start to look at what happens after crops come out of the ground or, you know, what processing needs to happen, what can we do? How do we store this? How do we move this? The modular space actually has a lot of parallels to uh, farming equipment. And so again, now I have things that I can customize, I can service, I can potentially get into rental there. But how I build that, I think those are a couple areas that, that translate very well. So if I get into something that, that's software development, maybe that doesn't translate as well. But these areas, which are right in the life cycle, you know, the farmer's life cycle, and relate to, to precision, to farming equipment, and that they're we'll called big and metal things and, and people understand they understand parts they understand service they understand how to do solutions i think those to me if i were looking back at where to take my dealership i would begin to look at how can it be close to what i do today and those resonate as two that are very close and i think have um, really interesting opportunities as a, as a dealer because now i walk in and it's not just about i'm planning or i'm harvesting it's about well, what am I doing after that? How can I do a better job here? So that's something that I think, that's the kind of thing I would look at and talk about. Anyway, hopefully you guys will talk about it, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we will, absolutely. Well, thank you, Jim, for taking some time to share insight on some of the influential factors shaping the precision egg business. You can catch Jim at the fifth annual Precision Farming Dealer Summit and find more information on the event at PrecisionSummit.com. Once again, if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast series in iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when upcoming episodes are released. And don't forget, you can keep up on the latest precision farming news impacting your dealership by registering online for our free e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at PFD Editors and on our Precision Farming Dealer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2019 podcast series. For Jim Henderson and our entire staff here with Precision Farming Dealer, I'm Jack Zamlicka. Thanks for listening. <laughs>